we wanted to create a kind of a experiential side of uh, the coffee. So for us, yes, we have the cans on the shelf, uh, which you're up against, you know, uh, different water brands, different kombucha brands, different coffee brands. But when customers are able to come into your store and experience the ambiance, the vibe, that definitely creates a lot more customer loyalty for us. Because when they maybe are shopping for groceries and they do see us on the shelf, they're very excited about like, oh, I, I tried these guys out at their their tap rooms and they're able to grab it. So it's really good cross promotion uh, because again, it allows them to experience the brand in a different way instead of just as a pure commodity on the shelf. They get to come in and experience what the culture is all about and what we're doing. You know, we showcase off our roaster, our canning line all the time for for customers coming in. And they really do appreciate the craft aspect of it, uh, especially being here in San Diego. There's that kind of inherent piece of San Diego culture, which is around craft beer, that has been great to showcase to people who are coming in, maybe new to cold brew. And so they're like, you know, might be slightly hesitant, but once they get to see everything behind the scenes, taste it off the tap, it's definitely been a great way for us to market and promote what we're doing in a very experiential way. Welcome back to Winning at Work. It's season three, the podcast for the food and beverage and CPG world. I'm Jennifer Lee, Tony's new marketing sidekick and creative guru. I'll attempt to keep him on track as we discover the ideas and strategies behind all these different, better, and special brands. Oh, good luck keeping me on track, but I am really stoked to have you on the team, Jennifer. Your background in marketing and SEO and socials, we are going to have so much fun this year. We're going to be discovering the new brands here in 2023. It's all about functional, good for you, lifestyle brands. Those are trending. Those are the products that are gaining market share and really pulling away from those old legacy brands. We're going to have each and every one of those brands down on the podcast to talk to us, to share their ideas, their inspiration. So you, the entrepreneur, so you, the food and beverage and CPG professional can take these new ideas in and incorporate them into your business and into your life. Oh my gosh, Tony, I'm seriously so excited. I feel like I learn so much just from listening to older episodes. Well, that's why we're here. And if this is your first time here, I would recommend, look, go back, take the five episode challenge, pick a brand, pick a CEO, an entrepreneur, dive in, listen to what it is that they're teaching us. If you love the content, subscribe. We hope you're along with us for the journey each and every week. By the way, do you have a favorite brand in your market you would love for us to amplify on this national platform? Reach out to us on LinkedIn and stay tuned for this week's episode. Hey, it's Jennifer. We get it. Everyone hates hiring. Inspired by his guests, Tony created a novel talent acquisition program that attracts the hidden candidate market, the 70% of people that are not actively applying to jobs. Click on the attract link in the show notes to watch a demo. Welcome to Winning at Work. It is Tony, and I wish I was in sunny California, but I'm not. I am still up in the mountains of Western North Carolina. We are still in our job uh, job hunt. <laughs> not in a job hunt. I'm in a house hunt. Uh, still trying to find something back into Georgia. And I had the pleasure recently of speaking with Eric Johnson. He is the CEO of Trident Coffee. And what um, what I find interesting about this brand 
is they're doing something very unique, I think, in their uh, overall business model and their process of how they go to market, including, uh, we're going to get into a little bit later, all about how they build community. Uh, but uh, Eric's got, I think, an interesting background coming out of the U.S. Naval Academy and then going in to get his uh, well, you've got a couple degrees, but uh, you know your your MBA from the University of Southern California, and then really quickly after leaving your time in the Navy, um, you started uh, Trident uh, Coffee Roasters. So, really looking forward to having this conversation with you today, Eric. Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Tony. Excited to chat with you. So, why does a a military professional after graduating and getting their MBA, go into coffee. Why? What was the uh, attraction there? Yeah, it was so, always such a great uh, thing that I would see uh, for all the countries I was able to travel to with my time in the military. Uh, coffee and tea is always something that brought people together. Uh, so it was great to see where we would sit down, have a cup of coffee, have a cup of tea, and really just connect and bond. So it's very hard, you know, blonde hair, blue eyed guy from San Diego, and sitting down with my either my Afghan counterparts, my Israeli counterparts, Iraqi counterparts. Uh, and so you had to create a bridge really, really quick. And the best way to do that was over a shared beverage. And so we saw time and time again, we were able to create such great rapport from very different backgrounds over this beverage. And so for me, that was always very intriguing to see like, hey, my job in the military was to build, to construct stuff, to build stuff and, and make things better than when I came into it. And so I look at the same thing from a social standpoint of, hey, yes, we do have a lot of differences. But when we play to our strengths and focus on what we have in common, it's just a much more powerful bond to create with people. And that's something that I really found interesting with coffee. Yeah, I love the name, you know, Trident. It, you know, you instantly it, what comes to mind is the um, Trident Spear. Is that, is that Poseidon or Zeus? Who, who is that? Yeah, so you go for Greek mythology, you have uh, Poseidon, and if you go to kind of more of the Roman, it's Neptune. Uh, but yeah, the power of the Trident is the ability to unite the seven seas and bring people together. So uh, through anything Earth-related, water-related, and so seeing that how interconnected we are now um, across the oceans, across travel, you name it, um, really want to focus on bringing people together and uniting people. And so that symbology of the most powerful nautical symbol around utilizing the Trident to really focus on that and build the brand around it with all of our other great products, but Trident being the cornerstone of it. So give us an, an introduction really to your brand. What is it that you're trying to portray? Kind of walk us through some of the different um, product lines that you currently are offering. Let's let's kind of get into the kind of nuts and bolts because I tell you, you've got a, a great website. It really kind of draws you in. Yeah, our biggest thing is we're you know from Southern California. It's a great craft beer scene that has really uh, slingshotted and, and catapulted uh, national uh, beer uh, brands, of, you know, nationwide. And so there's this really cool culture here about craft beverages. And so when we looked at coffee, we didn't really see anybody doing something similar in the coffee space. A lot of it was just following Starbucks, doing all espresso-based drinks, uh, things of that nature. And so one thing where we saw the ability to is one, cold brew uh, is such a great beverage. It brings out more flavor, more of the caffeine, but less of the acidity. And we wanted to really emphasize health and wellness. Because again, when we were looking at everything, 
so much cream and sugar is put into people's coffee on a daily basis just so they can manage to drink it. And so if we focused on really great product, really great coffee, and by cold brewing it, we could definitely go to the move towards people towards the path of not having to add so much milk, cream, and sugar to their coffee to enjoy it. And so we took a lot of great pride in really crafting this coffee and these products around this thing where we can really tie in the health and wellness community to it because people are becoming more and more aware of what's going in their body and really want to be very cognizant of that. And so we can really help people understand like if you're going to drink coffee on a daily basis, we can do this in a much healthier, cleaner way for you. Just in general, I mean, how how is cold brew made? What's the the, the genesis around that? There's several different methods that people utilize. We do a cold immersion process where we let the coffee and water basically marinate for 20 hours in cold water under nitrogen pressure. And so what that does is it leaves a lot of the acidity on the coffee itself. Then we filter it all out. And then we have our cold brew product that we serve on our taps. uh, So through a nitrogenator. So it comes out very much like a Guinness beer. And then we also put them in can forms as well. So people have a ready to drink uh, cold brew wherever they're going. And so it's um, we have really dialed in and went uh, super kind of nerdy on the water profile we use. So we can really get amazing coffee, amazing water, and put the two together to create a phenomenal cold brew. Well, and if you're selling it in tap, on tap form and then you also have the bottle, that's really opened you up for different points of distribution, which I know we're going to get into a little bit later. So that gives you some options and how you want to kind of tackle the market in scale. And that's, I think, that's really smart to be able to do that. We've seen a lot of trends really in coffee. What would you say you're, you're seeing right now with, when it comes to coffee and just the consumer in general? Yeah, we've seen a lot of stuff come over the last several years of people going more gravitating more towards cold coffee. And so Starbucks is about 75% of their beverages were served cold in Q3 of last year. And we don't see this slowing down anytime soon with the younger consumer wanting to enjoy a cold uh, coffee. And so then that also adds to if it's colder, it's easier to drink. And so you can get a couple more coffees in throughout the day. Oh, without having to, you know, sit, let it cool down or it burns the roof of your mouth. And then, you know, then you have to like <laughs> want to wait for a bit. And so we've really seen cold coffee is coming up and it's really taken a strong foothold in the traditional way of coffee is thought about being consumed, which is hot. And so this cold coffee kind of wave is really just starting to take form and people are really starting to notice it. Luckily, we're here in Southern California. We have great weather, but either in other places, you know, in the mountains of Denver, this and the other, cold coffee is definitely coming here and it's here to stay. Well, when it comes to cold brew, are there many options when it comes to like flavors and varieties? Because I know when you get in hot coffees, it feels like you can kind of tweak the flavors a little bit more. How does that work in, in cold brew? Yeah, so we kind of take the stance on we let the coffee speak for itself in a lot of ways. So we source uh, about seven different coffees right now from all over the world. We roast them differently, so they all have their own unique profile. So when you sample them off tap, it's very much like you would go to a beer brewery and get a flight and sample different styles of beer. And so that concept where most of the times you'll get a blend or you'll get something that's really overly roasted and then you're going to add a bunch of milk, cream, and sugar to it. We really want to let the coffee stand by itself. And then we have our sweeteners and stuff like that we can add to that's all sugar-free. Uh, so that if people do want a creamier and sweeter coffee, we can definitely make that happen. 
but the coffee itself is organic, greatly uh, uh, roasted in-house. And so we really have dialed in the flavor profiles for the coffee to stand by itself. I know there's been a lot said in the the coffee world when it comes to sourcing coffee and picking the the farms and the growers and kind of building those relationships. How how are you guys managing that? Because it's obviously a world away from you. How are you kind of building that supply chain out? Do you travel over there? Do you spend time or do you have like partners that help you kind of pick the best beans? We've been very fortunate to have it kind of both ways. Uh, We've been down to uh, uh, farms in Brazil Peru, Vietnam, Mexico. And so we have had the ability to go see the coffee at source, talk with the farmers, talk with the families, and really try to establish a great rapport and supply chain with them, as well as we have great friends that are in the coffee sourcing space that help us get to places we haven't had a chance to get to yet, just because of COVID has thrown in a lot of international travel plans kind of by the wayside for the past couple of years. But our goal is to go and create these direct relationships with all the coffee producers that we use because it has such a more profound impact where they can see how their coffee is being utilized here in the United States. And it just created a great story going from basically farm to can for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there is something about coffee. I think it's it's kind of built into everyone's ritual and it's such an emotional tie. Um, and you're that's that. Stat seventy five percent of all of Starbucks coffee sold in the third quarter was cold. That's remarkable, really, because I'm honestly I still kind of fall on that kind of hot side. I still drink mine hot, but I also still put a lot of cream and sugar <laughs> in mine too. So maybe that's um, that's why. Um, yeah, that's just a, a staggering stat. Yeah, it truly is remarkable to kind of showing where. Um older generations have always gone for like Folgers and then it went into what they call third wave coffee, which was Starbucks, espresso based drinks. And now it's kind of going into this kind of new frontier of this really craft space of cold brew. And so it's really kind of cool to kind of what we see as being one of the pioneers of the the area and really kind of educate people on it. What are some of the benefits for cold brew and why we feel cold brew is definitely one of the more preferred ways to enjoy your coffee. But we can still offer the hot coffees for those who are maybe a little hesitant, maybe, like you said, ingrained with the ritual, with the kind of emotional connection of, hey, the best cup of coffee I ever had when I was, you know, sitting on the beach in Hawaii, had a nice warm cup of coffee in the morning. And so people do create these really strong emotional ties to to coffee and other beverages. And so we wanted to make sure that we could create a, a really cool spot for them to come get what they're comfortable with, but also introduce them in the new product lines as well. So when it is a really nice hot day, they are feeling a little adventurous, they can dive into one of the cold brews as well and then slowly convert people over to the cold brew side of the house. Do you find that there's just better margins there with a cold brew? Yeah, since we manufacture everything in-house, we are have the ability to uh, roast everything here, uh, prep everything, keg it up or can it. And so there are definitely opportunities for us to um, have the margin points that we need for also in-house, but then the, the distro side as well, where we're distributed Sprouts Nationwide and a few other great natural grocery chains. Yeah, I know we're going to get into your business model a little bit more, but I, I think maybe, I, I, honestly, I want to learn a little bit more about these tasting rooms because that that kind of gives you a, a different vibe, you know, than just a coffee shop. Is what? How would you kind of, explain the difference or, or is there? 
Yeah, I think the the main thing that we always kind of uh, associate ourselves with is that we're more like a brewery than we are a coffee shop or a coffee business. And so being here again in San Diego, an amazing craft beer scene that has really opened up and exploded over the past, you know, 15, 20 years that has educated people, introduced them to new styles of beers instead of just like a light lager or anything else. They're going into now these really cool double IPAs, these stouts, lagers, uh, ales, you name it. And the diversity and the creativity from some of these brewers is, is unmatched. And so we really saw that opportunity to kind of, again, mimic that and bring these tap rooms to life where people can explore coffees from all over the world in a very approachable way and easy to drink way with cold brew on nitro. And so uh, that was something that we really wanted to emphasize and really differentiate, differentiate ourselves is being a basically a brewery, but for coffee instead of beer. Well, as we start looking at your business model, uh, I would imagine then if there's a, another city that's pretty hot and has got a, a strong kind of beer following and a strong, you know, craft beer movement, then in some ways, you know, you can kind of piggyback on that wave, right? And introduce that same vibe, but go with the, go in from the coffee standpoint. Absolutely. There's, there's definitely these urban hubs that are popping up that uh, craft beer has, you know, basically become a part of the culture. Uh, you know, I think Asheville, North Carolina is one of them, Denver, Colorado, Austin, Texas. And so San Diego, as we saw, was kind of the first big hub to kind of explode uh, on the beer side. And so I think those cities would definitely translate nicely into the coffee space as well, because people are more educated in terms of experiencing new types of beverages, new beers. And so that's not a huge far-fetched thing for them to really go in and sample all these different coffees that we have on tap and become part of the culture as well. And I don't know if this translates over into hiring, but do you do, do you find that having people that have, you know, that are, that are accustomed to brewing, that it's easy to kind of bring them over into coffee? Yes, absolutely. So the, the style and the equipment is roughly the same. Uh, we always have different techniques, but right. for someone who is education, educated in, uh, you know, the beer brewery scene and have, you know, either been a avid home brewer or has worked in a beverage production facility for a larger brewery, uh, the skills translate very, very well. We do a lot of the same stuff, the water filtration, the testing, um, the QC side of the house, the cleaning, uh, but the equipment is roughly the same. We have the same bright tanks. We have the same canning line. We just have some new features that allow us to do the coffee instead of beer. Well, you mentioned canning lines, and that obviously is kind of taking us back to your your business model. You know, a lot of well, you talk to talk to MBAs, you talk to to a lot of people in in food and bev. They they really think you should be outsourcing, you know, and and not you know ha having a co packer. How did you guys get to the point where you decided you wanted to kind of have your own? Yeah, the way, the way we saw the craft beer scene here develop is that people took ownership of their product. They wanted to do it their way because once you pass it off to a co-packer, it's kind of you try your best to get the recipe down, but at the same time, they're, you know, they're a big machine. They have to get your product in. They have to get it pretty the production line. They have to get the next person stage or the next customer stage ready to go. So the right. more variety and the more nuance you put in there, it's very difficult to find a co-packer that would take the same amount of care that you would. And so we saw that in the craft beer scene, almost 95% of the craft beers that started here do their own production. Um, and so that gives them the creativity as well as the quality control to ensure 
what they want the customer to taste is coming out of their hands, not a co-packer. And so the ready-to-drink coffee space can be a little bit different, but a lot of them are using retort or some sort of pasteurization process to make the product shelf-stable. And for us, that just kills all the good nutrients, uh, all the, the flavor nuances you'd want to get, really get muted out. And so you get a sweet kind of creamy flavor potentially, but the nutrients density is gone and a lot of these things that we just didn't want to partake in. And so we decided mm-hmm. to own the manufacturing process so we could guarantee the craft aspect that we wanted to stand by would come out in every single cup. Well, Eric, I mean, obviously that is a, it's a great strategy to kind of maintain your brand integrity and everyone kind of knows that this is what they're getting when they come here and they get this coffee. Does that create a, like a financial barrier though, if you're trying to expand to a new city or do you have some other ways that you can get around that? Yeah, so we look at some of the the co-packing side of the house. Uh, For us, we've seen four or five other uh, coffee companies here in San Diego go the uh, co-packer route. And just for them as a a smaller business, um, most co-packers just want to do like as many units as they can for one customer. So they don't have to change the machinery, they don't have to change the packaging. And so if you're not that big yet, it can be very challenging to get on on their schedule. And then you might have to wait three or four months to get back on. And so doing inventory management can be very, very risky. Um, And so we decided, hey, we can control. We can do kind of very lean ordering inventory side of the house. We're not not sitting on a bunch of product. Uh, We can make it very uh, pretty rapidly. So if we do get large purchase orders, we can then control our own schedule. And so there is definitely risk uh, taking on your own manufacturing, but we did kind of the the risk reward thing. And for us, it was definitely of benefit to do our own manufacturing side of the house. But at scale, there's always going to be conversations coming in on if you tweak things, change things, get larger equipment, things of that nature. And uh, basically, we just try to follow the craft beer scene from what we have talked to our friends and seen other businesses succeed with, but not overextend ourselves, which can be definitely the risk of once you go the co-packer route, you have to get so many units out and if they're not selling, then they're going to go bad. And then you have to like push them around to maybe discount yeah. marts or this or that nature. So there's still a lot of risk associated with using co-packers. And for us and our business model with wanting the tap rooms as well, it made the most sense to, to continue with what we're doing with owning our canning line, our roaster, our brewing facility, things of that nature. So your plan then going forward then would be if you do pick another city, then you're going to replicate what you're currently doing there. Yeah, we still see there's so much opportunity here in San Diego and Southern California. So having this hub and spoke model of having a large production facility to service, you know, the 10, 15, 20 tap rooms that we have is still very, very doable. Um, and then even with nationwide distribution that we have, um, we're very fortunate to have great distribution partners. And we can able to ship to them and they send it to their distribution centers and get the product to all the different cities around the U.S. And so, yeah, we definitely see the the hub and spoke model being able to work for us uh, for our tap rooms as well as our distribution. Okay, so you say hub and spoke. That's a good analogy. So you've got your your main hub and how many how many tap rooms do you think you can support? You said 10 or 15. Is that, is that kind of what you're operating yeah, on? Yeah, we'd, right we'd now? have to upgrade some equipment, but you know, we we saw here in the California, you can have a production facility for beer and have about six satellite tasting sites that would support it off of one license. And so we don't have those restrictions in terms of alcoholic licensing. So we Correct. can open as many as, as needed to support our own, our own growth with the tap rooms and then, you know, upgrade equipment here and there, depending on the scale and growth. 
um, but it's very much piecemeal. So we don't have to go out and overextend so much and uh, find a, you know, a very large facility, put a couple million dollars into it and then just kind of wait. Like we can just add and tweak stuff as we go uh, to maintain, make sure the product is available in stores as well as in our tap rooms. How are you distributing? Because you you mentioned you've got you've got bags right for people who want to do the hot. You've got canning for the cold. You can for the cold, and you've got the tap room. So how? Let's start with the bags in the warm. How are you distributing? Yeah, so we have um, three kind of main components of the business. We have our brick and mortar retail tap rooms. We have our distribution, which is wholesale going to um, large distributors as well as large grocery chains. Then we have our direct consumer component. So for our roasted coffee, we have them in all three verticals. We have them in direct consumer, we have them uh, through wholesale, and then we have them inside of our brick and mortar as well. So we have those three avenues to uh, showcase our roasted coffee to to customers. Got it. And so that's for the bag. Now, what about the um, cans? That's where it's you're you're just using the distribution model. Correct. Yeah, we have the the distribution model, which is the largest quantity play, and then we also have them available in our tap rooms as well. So when people come in, try one of the cold brews on tap, uh, then they normally are able to pick up, you know, a single can of that or a six pack, uh, very similar to what a, a brewery would uh, go into. You, hey, I really like this beer. Oh, cool, we have this one canned. You can grab a four pack or six pack, and you and you head out. And so we have those cans available through those two verticals. That's cool. Yeah, because they can they had a good experience, and or if they they tried one variety and they liked it, you know, they can just try some others and take them on the go. Um, how long are they stable in the, in the cans? How long do you recommend someone keep it, keep it in there? So we have them refrigerated. And so we have about a five month shelf life from the time we can it. Uh, it's nitrogen flush, nitrogen pur- uh, purged. So there's no oxygen in, in the cans as we go through. And so it really helps with the shelf life and stability, but we give them about five months. So they're, and at that point, it's just like, Hey, the flavor might be off. Um, as long as they're refrigerated, uh, for the most part, they're not going bad after all the different testing we've done for the past couple of years. How do you recommend people drink this? Is this like when you get it in the can, do people take it out of the can, uh, put it over ice? Do they just hit it from the can? I know people are starting to mix alcohol with it. Is it, I mean, what are you finding? Yeah. And it's all based on personal preference, right? That's what's so cool about coffee is it's such a, a personal experience. You know, you want to go get it the way you want to enjoy it. So we have several cans that are straight black coffee. And so what's cool about them, we have a nitrogen doser on our canning line that doses every single can with a small amount of liquid nitrogen that traps it in there and allows you to create a cool draft experience out of the can. So you can shake it, kind of crack it open, and then pour it upside down like a hard pour. And you'll get that cascading nitro effect just like a Guinness beer and just like you would on cool. And so that's kind of creates that experiential side for the cans. But right. some people just crack it open, drink it straight up, uh, no problem. So it's all based on the personal preference of the individual, but it does have some cool nuance to for them to enjoy it in different ways. Well, I had another brand on and they are doing, um, you know, alcohol infused with their coffee. Um, have you all dabbled in that area or are you just are you going to kind of keep out of alcohol or maybe look at uh, strategic partnerships? Yeah, we, we've stayed out of it. Uh, we've done a lot of great collaborations with uh, local breweries to do, you know, coffee beers. Uh, so that's always a really fun thing for us to do. But for us, in terms of internalizing that and trying to go through our own manufacturing process to create our own alcohol, we've kind of stayed clear. We really want to make sure we're dialed uh, this uh, process in. 
uh, and really nail it with, uh, you know, the quality control things like before we overexpand and overextend ourselves. Yeah, no, that that's smart. I was just curious because I know that's a trend and that's that's really where it's going. Well, one of the things that I think you guys are doing, and it's, I, I think it just gives you such a unique way to build community and every brand wants to build community. It's, I mean, they spend good money and good time and energy and people's efforts to build a community. And yet you do it every single day when people come into your tap room. So talk about maybe some of the key learnings you've had or discovered, you know, through community building, the types of things that you, that you can do, maybe some ideas for other, other brands that might help them with this um, kind of engagement. Yeah, there's always one thing that we've seen is that um, we wanted to create a kind of a experiential side of uh, the coffee. So for us, yes, we have the cans on the shelf, uh, which you're up against, you know, uh, different water brands, different kombucha brands, different coffee brands. But when customers are able to come into your store and experience the ambiance, the vibe, that definitely creates a lot more customer loyalty for us. Because when they maybe are shopping for groceries and they do see us on the shelf, they're very excited about like, oh, I, I tried these guys out at their their tap rooms and they're able to grab it. So it's really good cross promotion uh, because again, it allows them to experience the brand in a different way instead of just as a pure commodity on the shelf. They get to come in and experience what the culture is all about and what we're doing. You know, we showcase off our roaster, our canning line all the time for for customers coming in. And they really do appreciate the craft aspect of it, uh, especially being here in San Diego. There's that kind of inherent piece of San Diego culture, which is around craft beer, that has been great to showcase to people who are coming in, maybe new to cold brew. And so they're like, you know, might be slightly hesitant, but once they get to see everything behind the scenes, taste it off the tap, it's definitely been a great way for us to market and promote what we're doing in a very experiential way. Well, because you've got the tap rooms, you do you have I guess you have the ability to invite other groups or what musicians or I, I don't know how well I mean, what other things do you do in that tap room to to kind of be a magnet? Yeah, we we try to engage a lot with uh, the local community as best we can. So they're down in on our Imperial Beach location. We have tons of cyclists that come through. We're right off one of the main bike paths. So we do get a lot of cyclists cruising through on the weekends, and we create a really good culture around that for them. Uh, and then we have a great proximity to uh, the military bases here for the veteran component of it. And so it's just really just trying to dial it in get people familiar with who we are, what we're doing to get them to come to us. Um, but that, uh, that ambiance, that attraction has been really cool to mess around with and, you know, different, hold different events, uh, get different groups in here. Uh, we just had a thing called the caffeine crawl here in San Diego where they set up and they do organized rides to different coffee shops and you get a full like tasting, uh, of that, of that ex- experience. And so that's like really cool things for us to really kind of showcase and bring people in there, uh, especially with different groups coming in to try everything out. Yeah, gosh, I wish I had my bike out there because I'm, I'm a big cyclist and uh, cyclists love beer and anything craft. So, you know, you go on a long, hard ride and you just can't wait to get off your bike. <laughs> just sit down. And- oh, yeah. I mean, we have, they normally stop here for the, you know, the, the coffee in the morning. And then as we're going through, we just uh, got a new neighbor down here in Imperial Beach called Novo Brazil. A great Brazilian brewing company. And so they have the beer set up over there. So this 
whole center down here called the Bikeway Village is definitely a great spot, uh, destination location for people on their bikes or even casual cyclists that come around and get an amazing view of San Diego, the San Diego Bay from Coronado down here to IB. That's amazing. I mean, I, I just I just have a, a, a picture of these of these tap rooms where, yeah, you're just able to really engage with people on a very personal level. What do you guys do um, in terms of like socials? Yeah, so we definitely are focused on uh, like some of digital content creation because just because we see a lot of uh, people that are our target customers are on on their phone, on Instagram, checking stuff out. And so we've had, you know, collaborations with uh, local influencers. We handle our own social media marketing side. And so that is definitely a huge component to how we kind of spread the brand awareness um, with people and really try to get them to engage with us on that end. But it's it's absolutely imperative to have you know a social media presence now. Uh, and so we try to find fun, creative ways to make it happen. Do you do anything on the cans? Do you, do you have like QR codes and put you know way for them to kind of tap into it? No pun intended. Yeah, we are are working that right now through a kind of a brand redesign to throw in a uh, a barcode. Uh, QR code so that people can go in and scan and go to our website and get everything kind of checked out, you know, about us, engage with us, things of that nature. Yeah, that's cool. I love it. I, it's, 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 I think it's where brands are going is into the experiential. And if you haven't figured out how to make it that way, I mean, that's kind of what you're missing out on. Um, I can kind of uh, tease it a little bit. I, I've got a, a brand coming on that they are, they're really experts in live streaming. And live streaming is a huge trend right now for for brands, for people to come in and kind of watch and witness how the brand's being used and experienced. And then people can buy it right then and there. And so I think that's it. That's a huge trend. And you got the benefit of having a tap room. You guys could literally do all kinds of unique live streams from, you know, from a location. And then people could literally kind of experience what you're doing and then you know, just kind of shop and buy, you know, right there after the live stream's over. Yeah, the the use of technology has obviously greatly transformed even in the past, you know, five years. And to see, see how we can implement uh, different pieces and components of that is very uh, amazing. So we're definitely just trying to get in and focus on a few things that we can put our time and attention into. Because since there's so much stuff, sometimes you can get kind of dragged through the weeds and like you're not yeah. giving your full attention to it. So we were definitely consolidating and focusing on where we see our, you know, Pareto's law, the 80-20 rule, where we can focus, you know, 20% of our effort, but get 80% of the results, but just be hyper-focused on uh, a few streams uh, of that. And that way we can put our best effort forward. You know, I've not talked to anyone specifically about any veteran strategies, but you being a veteran, do you guys um, kind of seek out and kind of market yourself to veterans for for employment or for other opportunities we do yeah there is a great um kind of veteran support network that uh we are able to kind of link into and and attractive with people in that regard and so it's one of those things that we wanted to showcase that you know i found uh my time in the military a lot of people just drank so many energy drinks uh as their main source of caffeine and so long-term health implications of that are, are pretty bad. And so we have this really cool thing where we can educate people through um, through those networks. Like, hey, this is how coffee can be with this cold brew. And it's a lot healthier for you too as well because that's the one thing I think focusing on now is getting people to be healthier. 
Um, it's been very scary to see, you know, the rise in obesity, the rise in certain diseases. Uh, and a lot of it stems from what we're putting in our bodies and what we eat and what we drink. And so with that kind of main emphasis and focus, the veteran community is a perfect example uh, of people to really kind of focus on and, and try to help because of the long shift hours, the late nights, this, that, and the other, the deployments, they're just trying to get caffeine any way, shape, or form. And that ends up being a lot of energy drinks that are loaded with sugar. So you have three or four of those a day, six months out of the year on deployments, and you just extrapolate that out. It becomes this really terrible habit for people to get their caffeine fix through these sugar-loaded drinks. I'm sure you've thought of this. I mean, are are you talking to the government? I mean, with government contracts, is that even on your on your radar at some point? I mean, obviously, coming out of the service, you probably have a little more of an audience than just the the civilian with the idea. Yeah, we have the we we do sell on the bases here in, in San Diego. We have a lot of great contacts in local, um, but yeah, with the the GSA contracts, the larger contracts, uh, you can get a little. Um, um, very overwhelming. So we haven't fully pursued that yet, um, but we just focus on here, the local community base, because we see that as like a brand pollinator when they come in, you know, military people move normally every two or three years, they come and they try the coffee. They love it. They move to Jacksonville, Florida, but like, man, I love that coffee. I'm going to order it online. So they're able to order it online and we still have great connections with them. So even though they move away from the immediate vicinity, uh, with you know the way e-commerce has been playing out, we can still engage with them and and work with them to ship them product out to their you know their new duty station. That's great, Eric. I mean, really, really good uh, kind of flyby all the things that you guys are trying to tackle. And I could probably just keep peppering you with questions, and you would just have an answer for them. So we got to cut it off at some point. <laughs> No, it's great. I said once I get kind of rolling, it's it's so much fun to talk about. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to hop on with you today. No, it's great. And so before we go, why don't you tell people the best way to tap into uh, Trident Coffee? And so if they're not in the San Diego area, to to give it a try. Yeah, so we're in Sprouts nationwide. For anyone who has a Sprouts within them, there's about 360 of them uh, around the U.S. We're concentrated in Southern California and a lot of natural grocery chains. And then obviously our website, tridentcoffee.com, and then our Instagram, at tridentcoffee. That's awesome. Eric, it's been great. It's been great. And uh, it's pretty impressive. You're doing a lot with coffee, and you're right on the front edge of where coffee is going, which is cold and experiential in the tap room. I'm kind of excited to see where this is going to go. I kind of um, kind of wish I wasn't looking for a house uh, back in Georgia, because otherwise... Uh, <laughs> That, uh, that area in, near your tap room sounds pretty cool for me as a cyclist, but that is not in the cards for me right now. All good. We can come out and visit anytime. All right. Careful what you wish for. <laughs> Tony shows up uh, with his bike and uh, demanding samples. Uh, Eric. No worries. We got, we got you covered. All right, man. Well, great talking to you and much success to all of you guys at, uh, at Trident. Awesome. Well, thanks so much, Tony. Appreciate it.